it's good to be back. I've had a bit of vacation time over the, these last few weeks and also a bit of time uh, to uh, think long-term and think planning and uh, seek the Lord and where, where He's leading us next. And I just want to uh, give thanks and appreciation to Chris King and Colton and Kendall and Jamie who've, uh, who've been preaching the last few weeks. I hope you guys have been blessed. I've, uh, I've been blessed when I've been here and I've, as I've lifted online, can we give uh, thanks to those, those four? Uh, what a gifted community we have, uh, lots, of, lots of folks uh, to draw on, and so I'm just thankful for them. Uh, we've been looking at Galatians 5, and in Galatians 5 it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, the types of things that show up in our lives when we abide in Jesus. And we've called this series Juice, the key ingredients to healthy relationships, because we I believe that when uh, the Spirit is alive in us, that it actually prepares us to live in healthy human relationships. And if we're not having the, the, these fruits of the Spirit in our lives, often uh, the stuff that gets squeezed out of us is not uh, ideal. It's not what we would hope for. And maybe you've been in situations in relationships where you get in an argument or situations uh, that don't quite work out the way you would hope or planned. And what comes out of you is actually a little bit embarrassing. You know, you become a little bit more angry than you wanted to be. You just, uh, you lash out maybe in a way you didn't hope that you would. Or maybe you, you're one of those people that retreat and you become all silent and you feel bitter and frustrated. And when life squeezes us, something comes out. I believe the more that we're abiding with Christ, that we're full of the Spirit and, and we're bearing the fruits of the Spirit, as it talks about in Galatians 5, that when life squeezes us, God is on display. The character of Christ is on display. And, uh, and, th and that is our hope. As we journey through this series, as we abide more uh, with Jesus, uh, that his characteristics would define us. And so I just want to do a little bit of a recap, because uh, we've been at this series for a few weeks here. just want to go back to the beginning a little bit, recap a couple of things. In Galatians 1, verse 6 to 7, when Paul is beginning this, later, this letter to the church in Galatia, he says, I am shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way. Another translation says, you are following a different gospel that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. So Paul had planted this church, and, uh, and he's, he's coming back at the church and saying, the way that I taught you, the gospel I gave you, the good news that I gave you, that you responded to, you have actually detoured from that direction, and you're following a different way, a different gospel. And so when we started the series, we talked about a couple of different gospels, the, that there's, a, there's kind of this fake gospel, this fraudulent gospel, and there's the real gospel, the, and the gospel is just the word that means good news. And so this, for, this, uh, this counterfeit gospel says it's all about what I do. It's all about what I do. But the real gospel says it's all about what Jesus has done. And so this church in Galatia, they were becoming consumed with how they behave and trying to work their way up into a certain way of living. And Paul is saying, you can't do that. It's not about what you do. It's actually about what Jesus has done. That's the beginning of the gospel. It's the beginning of the good news. This counterfeit gospel says it's all about trying to get God's approval. 
that we have religious activity and we, be, we behave in certain ways in order for God to approve of us. But the real gospel, the real good news is it's all about God's love. It's God initiates. It's not through human effort. Which correlates to this next point. The counterfeit gospel says it's all about external duty. But God is inviting us to begin from the inside out. It's about internal desire. So when we get to Galatians 5, Paul says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. So the sin in this faith community was wreaking havoc on their relationships. What was starting to come out of them when they were being squeezed uh, was not very Christ-like. It looked like something different. And Paul talks about this idea of sinful nature. And the, the Greek word, because they didn't write the Bible in English, so at the time it was written in Greek, the word, Greek word there is the word sarks. Can you guys say sarks? Thank you. So when, when, when Paul says sarks, our translations translate it flesh. But to describe our physical bodies, the Greek word is soma. And so what Paul is not saying is that your, your, your physicality, the materialism is wrong. He's saying that there's an element of our flesh nature. There's an element of what it means to be human that is out of sync and out of line with God's desire for us. Sarks refers to the attitudes, relationship, actions, desires, or worldview that carries with it the spirit of death and corruption that moves against God's intention in this world. So that's important to realize because some people look at the word flesh in Scripture and they think, well, I'm inherently not a good person. We're going to come to this in a second. This is not what the words we're feeling through. It's saying inherently there is parts of being human that are out of sync and out of alignment with God's intention for your life. So most of Paul's writing, the flesh is not our body but our sinful nature. It's the whole realm of human mind, emotions, will, and bodily appetites when it's ruled by sin. It's entirely egotistic, and it refuses to be subdued. And neither education or religion can change it. In fact, Sark's flesh loves religion, because religion is just the flesh trying to be spiritual. Religion is just the flesh trying to be spiritual. And so... In Galatians 5, 16, 17, I'll read this again. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. We often believe this works the exact opposite. Don't do what your sinful nature craves, and the Holy Spirit will guide your lives. We think that we've got to get our act together in order for God's Spirit to be at work in us. But that's a lie of the enemy, because when we focus on our own behavior, we actually prevent the Holy Spirit from taking control of our lives because we think we have to take control of our own lives. This is not what Paul is saying. He says, he says it the other way. He says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And then in verse 17, the Spirit gives us, can you say gives us? The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And so when we started the series, I talked about the Nerf ball. And so often we live, live our lives trying to change the shape of our own lives or transform our own lives by human effort. And we can do it for a certain amount of time. And, you, and many of us work really, really hard and we can behave really good most of the time. Uh, 
But as soon as we stop trying, or as soon as there's a moment of weakness or tiredness or something in our life doesn't work out the way we want it to, and we release our grip, it just goes back to the shape it was before. That our shape is actually unchangeable on our own strength. As much as we might be able to temporarily change it for a little bit of time. Oh, almost Kelly, you almost had it. So maybe you've had that. You've had seasons where you're like, I'm, I'm living, I feel like I'm living like the way I'm supposed to and then something happens in your life and, and you're not able to sustain that effort and then you just go back to the way it were, the way you were. Paul knew this well and he talked about that uh, in other places in scripture as well, uh, even outside of Galatians. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So not out of human effort, but out of the Holy Spirit being alive in our lives, it produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So this morning, we are focusing on goodness. Can everybody say goodness? So what is goodness? Goodness is an uprightness of heart and a life of integrity. One of the definitions I'll do this morning. An, an uprightness of heart and a life of integrity. Goodness is also a character trait that causes someone to do what is right and beneficial for others. It includes a passion for truth and a hatred for evil. Goodness. So let me ask you a question. Are we as human beings inherently good or inherently evil? Are we inherently good or inherently evil? We're inherently mediocre. <laughs> so th this is a question. Human beings left to their own devices, will they be, become better or will they become worse? And this is a question that theologians, the philosophers have wrestled with uh, for all of history, really. What is the law of human nature? You know, when we think of the laws of nature... And, you know, it's scientific. It makes observations on uh, what's happening around it. So when you, when you heat up this element, the element behaves like this. And so we could say, this is the law that is governing that activity. Because we're observing the behavior of that thing. Or when I point a telescope at the sky, it, I see this. Right? And so we would write laws or we would write observations. So science is really just discovering what is and how something behaves. But think about this for a second. Laws of nature focus on observational facts, but when we talk about human nature, the law of human nature, we focus on behaviors of humans and how they're not quite what they ought to be. So we say, well, that's human nature. When we use that term, we're, we're, we're often describing this idea that human, that's, that human, that situation, that person is not behaving in the way that they ought to. When we observe the rest of the world, we talk about what is, but when we observe humans, we talk about what is versus how things ought to be. So in his book, uh, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis uh, talks about this, and he talks about the concept of moral law. And he acknowledges this. He says that, that there is a gap between how humans inherently feel like the world and human behavior ought to be in the way it is. 
There is an inherent expectation of goodness in humanity, an acknowledgement that there is some standard that is not being observed, but is expected. You know, compare this to science, where we observe behavior and therefore expect it. Do you guys see the difference? So science, we we observe the world, and then we can create these expectations of these laws based on how things are behaving. But as humans, we inherently have this understanding that regardless of what we observe in in humanity, there's an expectation that there's a better way to live, that there's a gap between how we are living and how we ought to be living. C.S. Lewis refers to this as as the moral law, and and, and he asked the question, it's a good question, where does that acknowledgement come from? Where does that idea come from? That humans across the world, across time, have this expectation of goodness, of certain moral behavior, but yet also acknowledge humanity's repeated efforts to attain that, but unable to attain, their inability to attain that. So I got some bad news this morning. Can you guys say bad news? Bad news. So here's the bad news. That you're not as good as you think you are. And I know some of you, and this is true. I've observed, I, I, I've observed this, that it, it is indeed true. We're born into a sinful world with a sinful heart. We have a predisposition to selfishness. When I think about my children's first words, all three of my boys, after Toronto Raptors, that's the first word they, words they used, they learned. Second came me, mine, all of them. This, this inherent disposition to, to think of self first. This disposition to rebel against what one knows they ought to do. I, I can remember my oldest, uh, Joel, when he was younger. And, and if you know Joel, he's, you know, he's the one that likes to live by the rules. Um, out of all my kids, he, he just, you know, if you're not living by the rules, he's going to let you know. Uh, but even him, he had, from a very early age, just a desire to break the rules. And uh, as, as, a, as a kid... There was something that, he, there was this little closet with mom's crafting stuff that he wasn't allowed to go in. And, and so uh, when our kids would touch stuff like, you know, they, they, go, they go to the plug-in on the wall and we'd slap their hand or they do things that they weren't supposed to, we'd slap their hand. And I remember Joel kept getting into this cupboard and uh, playing with all Lisa's crafting supplies. And I was sitting there and I looked at him and I said, I said, Joel, if you go in that cupboard again, I'm going to have to slap your hand. And, and Joel is very thoughtful. Uh, he thinks things through before he does things. And I could see him just as a little guy. He just stood there in this philosophical moment, like this crisis of totally understanding the consequences. And then he just stuck out his hand. He decided it's worth it. He's like, let's get this over with, slap my Even before he did, he's like, slap my hand, and then I'm going to go into the cupboard. <laughs> As a, kid, my, as a kid, my behavior had to be monitored. I remember uh, getting spanked by my dad with his hand or with a belt. I, I remember my dad would take off his belt and he would, you know, I don't know if any of you guys had this, uh, you know, old school, they'd snap the belt coming down the hallway. It would just like strike holy fear in my heart. You know, he had to, 
he had to get that sarks out of me. You know, if I could just spank him hard enough, he'd get it out of me. Uh, I remember my grandma giving me the wooden spoon. It was like going back generations. You know, they, you know before the belt, they had the wooden spoon. Uh, my behavior had to be monitored. There was a recognition by my parents that there's a way I ought to behave that I wasn't behaving. And I think we could say that for all of us. So Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. You're not as good as you think you are. The human heart will deceive you. In Mark 10, you know, a person refers to Jesus as a good teacher and Jesus responds by saying, who, do you, who are you calling good? No one is good except for God. You know, little, did we, little did the guy know that was asking that he was God, and so he was, in fact, good. But, um, but Jesus is making the point here that no one is good. Every single one of us are less than good. And so I come back to the question, are we inherently good or are we inherently evil? And, uh, you know, if you know me, I'm, I'm someone who loves tension because I think often truth is found in the tension. I think we are both. And so I'm going to come back to what you said. Uh, inherently mediocre, I think. And I wouldn't quite say it that way, but uh, when, when the Bible begins before the fall, before original sin, right, which is uh, often what is referred to in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve decided to turn their backs on God, that sin entered humanity, uh, we inherit an evil intention, a selfish intention, that we cannot overcome ourselves. But before that, in Genesis 1, God creates everything and he says, it is good. Uh, and I think inherent in every human being uh, is the image of God. And God is goodness. God is, the, his essence is love. His essence is goodness. You know, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we're really talking about the essence of what God is like. And so when he creates us in the image of God, there's a part of us that reflect the goodness of God. And so when we look around at humanity, we, we see beautiful and good things that human beings do all the time. But we also see horrendous, evil things that human beings do. And so I would say that we, uh, you know, the, the Bible refers, the, the Greek word around the idea of image is the word icon. And I've, talked, I've taught about this before, but uh, where we get the word icon from, that we were actually created to be icons, image bearers of God. That when people look at human beings, the rest of creation looks at human beings, we were supposed to be a reflection of what God is like. And I would say that we are broken icons. That we were created for a purpose. That we were created uh, to reflect the goodness of God, but we don't. We don't. We, we, we often choose selfishness. We, cho we choose preservation. We choose... Um, we, we choose evil things instead of goodness all the time. But we have moments where we see that the beauty of God's image in us, where we see that goodness. And so how does that image of God get restored? You know, that, that, is, that is the question that the Bible seeks to answer for us. And we're going to come to that in a second. So talk about the bad news. Here's the good news. That we have a Savior Jesus came to be our savior so that we could have a supernaturally changed heart. 
a savior, this, this someone who was the perfect human, the, he was the perfect, uh, he was the word made flesh, which is what it says in John chapter one. He was fully God and fully human. He was the perfect acon, the, the perfect representation of what God was like. And Jesus came and created a pathway of restoration and redemption. I believe that original blessing is greater than original sin because God, who is God overall, is goodness. At the end of the day, goodness will have the last word for those that choose it. But that goodness needs saving. God's focus is on redemption of his image bearers, not on the punishment of sin. Like God's whole plan in history is to redeem his image bearers, to redeem us. But this good news only makes sense if there is something to compare it to. You don't understand the good news until you understand the bad news. Our inability to transform ourselves, our inability to work our way into change. If you don't get to the point of desperation and hopelessness at your own ability to change yourself, uh, then the good news actually is not good news to you. You think everything is fine. But the whole gospel is based on the fact that there is bad news happening in this world. There's bad news happening in your life. That there's a sin problem that you cannot overcome. That there's a separation between yourself and God that you cannot close on your own. That there is a destiny that God has called you to that you are unable to fulfill. That is what the gospel, the good news, comes to fix. And so when we look at the word goodness, it's the word agathosune. Can you say that? Agathosune. And so this word talks about the content of the life of a Christian. The content of the life of a Christian. The content of a Jesus follower. The essence of who they are. And so with every word, there's kind of like this palette of meaning that kind of surrounds the word. You know, you think of a painter and he has, you know, all the different colors on his palette. And so the word goodness has all these different flavors or colors to it. Different parts of the spectrum. So here's the palette of goodness. Generosity. The object of goodness is outside of oneself. It's for the benefit of another. So when someone is operating in goodness, it doesn't just stay with them. It has a positive effect on those who surround that person of goodness. So when we say that God is good, it's not only talking about God's essence, but it's also talking about the effect of goodness on everything that God touches. It's the second two I want to focus on. Uh, integrity. Here's another aspect of this word. Integrity is deciding to blend my heart's values into my daily actions. Integrity is deciding to blend my heart's values into my daily actions. And the key word here is deciding. You don't just slip into integrity. There has to be a conscious decision to align your actions and your behavior with your values. And we know that integrity is important to God. In Proverbs 28, verse 6, it says, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. You know, we think stuff and that we own or accomplishments that we make are valuable, but the word says that your integrity is more valuable than those. Is it more valuable to you? So how do you, impract, how do you practice integrity? How does integrity show up more in your life? 
Speak honestly. You can't fake honesty, especially with the people who are closest to you. If you catch someone in a lie, the trust level begins to go down, doesn't it? In Ephesians 4 verse 15, it says, speak the truth in a spirit of love. Some people speak the truth in a spirit that destroys relationships. We've all met people like that. They speak honestly, uh, but it's not in a spirit of love. But I'm talking about speaking honestly in a spirit of love. And I think the church actually struggles with this a lot, especially in this day and age. You know, in social media world, that we have a lot of Christians, Jesus followers, that are either being very, very vocal, but they're not saying truth in a spirit of love, or they're being silent. And many in the church have become silent because they recognize the damage that followers of Jesus have caused in this world, and they don't want to contribute to that. But I would say that the the answer is not to be silent as a follower of Jesus. The answer is that we need to align our behavior with our beliefs. The world is tired of people that claim to follow Jesus that, that talk and behave in a different way. So can we behave in a way that aligns with our beliefs and our values? Then I think our voice becomes trustworthy. Secondly, how do I practice integrity? Confess regularly. Man, does confess give you the heebie-jeebies like it does to me? Every time you hear it, it's like, Ugh, to... How many of you love to do that? How many of you guys love to confess? It's like you wake up in the morning, it's like, I can't wait to confess some sins today. Uh, when you're wrong, admit it. When you're right, shut up. I think that's a good, I think that's a good rule of thumb. James 5 or 16 says, confess your sins to one another so you can be healed. At the beginning of this series, when I started about my own personal fight with my fleshly nature, with my sarks, uh, I used my own fight with pornography as an example. A key contributing factor to winning my battle with pornography was confession. Because what does confession do? Confession forces your outside world to come into alignment with your interior world. It takes away this uh, dichotomy between how I feel, what I believe, and actually how I'm living. And confession actually brings accountability to bringing these two worlds together. If you want to be a more integral person, practice confession. Force all of that dark stuff that you want to hide in your heart into the open and bring these worlds together. Confession forces your beliefs and values to come in alignment with your behavior and acknowledges that there's a gap in between them. And it gives an accountability to bringing those two into alignment. Thirdly, live consistently. The opposite of consistency is hypocrisy. You can hide it on a Sunday, but you can't hide it from the people that know you most. Here's the real value of integrity. It has the power to build trust. And trust is built by making and keeping commitments. Are you who you said you are? Do you do what you said you would do? That builds commitments. When so that builds trust. When somebody isn't who they say they are, when someone doesn't do what they said they were going to do, that erodes trust. To have goodness, integrity is to be whole, to be the same self in every area of your life. A person with integrity is the same in public as they are in private. One of the synonyms to goodness or another part of this palette is wholeness. 
consistency. You know, when you think of the fruit of the fruit of the spirit, when you think of a fruit, an apple, and if I were to take one of these oranges and uh, bite into it, well, I, I wouldn't recommend that because those oranges have been sitting in there a while. You don't know what'll be inside, but a healthy orange will be an orange all the way through. Right? You don't bite into an orange and all of a sudden you hit an apple. It's it's consistent all the way through. So consistency, this third part of the palate, consistency wholeness, I believe there's three vital areas when we think about consistency. Your public versus your private image. We kind of alluded to this a little bit already. Some people let their public, some people let their families down in order to build their public image up. Let their families down in order to build their public image up. You know, you think of the Calgary rat race. There's a lot of people working really hard on that co- to go up on that corporate ladder. And are you letting your family down to build your public image up? Because here's the thing. There's a lot of people that can do what you do. There's a lot of people that can do what I do. There's a lot of people that could get on stage and do what I'm doing right now. But there's only one man that is a dad to Joel, Luke, and Silas. There's only one man that's a husband to Lisa. And scripture is clear that someone should only manage or lead others if they can manage and lead their own household. You know, I, I don't know how many of you follow, you know, certain Christian leaders, uh, but recently, if you're familiar uh, with Bill Hybels and Willow Creek Church. Uh, you know, Bill Hybels is one of the, the most influential pastors we have today. He, he leads a leadership summit uh, that is broadcasted across the world. And Bill Hybels has been super influential in my own life. Uh, but Bill Hybels had some moral failures uh, that came to light recently and sent that whole church into a spiral. Now, I don't sit here from a distance. I don't know Bill Hybels personally, um, so I'm just observing what has happened. And apparently, as, as I've listened to the reports, that there was, uh, there's been comments that there was indications of some poor character marks throughout Bill Hybels' pastoral uh, vocation at, uh, at Willow Creek. There's a part of us as human beings that are drawn to success and talent, but not the fruit of the Spirit. We ignore character flaws if someone's successful. You know, if I have character flaws in me, it's like, oh, you know, as long as he's, you know, doing a good job of, you know, pastoring, then we'll, you know, those little character flaws are okay. We have a bad habit in our day and age of pursuing and trusting people that are gifted, talented, successful. That is not the measuring stick that Scripture gives us. Scripture says, judge somebody by their fruit. Judge somebody by their fruit. Do we value fruit and character over talent? Do we value character over success? Do we value character over giftedness? 
The fruit of the Spirit should be the single most important aspect we look for in our leaders and in each other. And we should use that as a measuring stick for each other, not how gifted, successful, or talented somebody is. Is there consistency in our public self and our private self? Is there consistency in how we discipline and oversee others? In Ephesians 6 verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Is there a consistency? Sorry, this is the, the second point uh, of the three areas that I think consistency is vital. Is there consistency in how you parent? Is there consistency in how you oversee others as a boss? In any area of authority, are you consistent to those around you? Are, you? are your standards for others the same as yourself? Are you dismissive of certain behaviors at some point and then you go off the handle and you're a bit Jekyll and Hyde at, a, at the same situation at a different point? That, this does not create a culture of trust and safety in your home. It doesn't create a culture of trust and safety in the workplace. Be consistent in your discipline and your expectations of others. When we are consistent in our discipline, we begin to reflect of God that is consistent and does not change like shifting shadows. Thirdly, so consistency is vital in your public image versus your private image and, and how you discipline and oversee others. And then thirdly, consistency is important in your words and your actions. And this is a bit uh, summarizing a comment I made earlier. How many of you guys have ever said, do as I do, or do as I say, not as I do? You ever say that? Okay, I, I've said that so many times, and I see, I see Steve chuckling here. Steve's a basketball coach, and, uh, and if you coach anything and you ever get in a scrimmage with your players, this is a phrase that always will come out of the coach. You know, you, you, you tell kids to pass with, with two hands, and, you know, don't jump and pass, and I get in the, you know, I get in the game, and I'm, like, going all uh, NBA and, like, jumping and, like, throwing around the back passes, and then you, and then you realize what you did, and you, just, you get down and you say, don't do that. Listen to what I say, not what I do. We need to be better than that. We need to have more consistency than that. You know, acknowledging that we're not perfect human beings, but maybe saying things like, shoot for what I'm shooting for. Even Paul says this. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's, it's less about your own authority and how you're living and more about what you're shooting for and inviting other people into the journey that you're on. Integrity is aligning your beliefs, your words, with your actions. I'm going to invite the, the band on stage. So, you know, there's a lot of information there around goodness and the palette of what surrounds the idea of goodness, but, but let me conclude this way. If you want to increase in this fruit, it starts by committing openly. You know, integrity means that you must make up your mind in advance. You know, we don't just become by chance the people that God's calling us to be. It comes from an intentionality of commitment. You know, to decide in advance who you're going to be and who you're not going to be. You know, when I do marriage counseling with couples, you know, this is a major part of what we talk about. Your desires, your values, your beliefs. Okay, now how do you set up your life to, on that trajectory to be the person that you're desiring to be, to have the kind of marriage that you want to have? Decide in advance and then commit openly. 
You know, so when a couple comes together and they make vows, I did a, I did a wedding last weekend, right? And the couple makes vows together. This is an open commitment. So don't just keep it to yourself, but a spouse, a friend, a, you know, somebody else say, you know, this is the type of person I want to be. And as soon as you commit openly, there's an accountability to that. It's always easier to make up excuses than it is to make up your mind. So make up your mind and say, this is where I want to go. This is who I want to be. And declare that. And the reason I think that many of us are not growing is because we've never openly or publicly made a commitment to be like Jesus. Growth begins with a commitment. In Psalm 101 verse 2, the psalmist says, I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. He, he declares that. That's a bold thing to declare. You know, have you said to somebody, have you said to your, your friend, a spouse, your kids, like this is the type of home we are. This is the type of person we are. And you declare that and you commit, commit that. And now you're almost forced to align what you've said with how you're living. And that's a scary thing. Have you dropped the ball of goodness? Have you operated with a lack of integrity? Have you operated with a lack of consistency? I invite you this morning to bring your external world into alignment with your beliefs and your values. If you're someone who said, I desire to follow Jesus and to become like Jesus. You know, Sunrise Mission is to guide all people into lifelong, authentic relationship with Jesus. If you're not at a point to declare that, that's fine. We invite you on this journey with us. We understand it's a journey. But if you are someone that has said, that's the journey I want to go on, that's the type of person I want to be, have you committed to that? Have you declared that? Have you stated that? Have you, have you told people that? Are you willing to bring your external world into alignment with that? Start with confessing that to somebody. You know, at the end of service, we'll have prayer teams available. Maybe that's a step this morning. You come forward and you say, this is the type of person I want to be. Can you pray for me? Now you've taken that and you've put it out there into the external world. How will I lead a life with a greater degree of goodness, with a greater degree of integrity and a greater degree of consistency? Make a plan. Say, this is where I'm going, and then abide with the Spirit every single day. The whole point of this series, and we've said this almost in the conclusion of every sermon, is that you cannot produce this fruit on your own. You declare it. You say, this is where I want to go. But there's this relationship between human effort and God's Spirit working in you that come together. And so you work hard at being this type of person, but at the end of the day, you have to daily abide with Jesus so that His Spirit can transform you from the inside out. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for you. Father, you are good. You're so good. And Lord, we see your beauty and your goodness even when we look around the room and there's the beauty of your creation is, is even before us as we look into each other and we're, we're image bearers of God. And Lord, we acknowledge that. We say thank you for what you've made, but we thank you uh, that you were intent not to leave us as broken image bearers. And Lord, we recognize that the good news is only good news if we recognize the bad news. And, and so we just acknowledge that there's gaps of how we ought to behave and how we do behave. That there is 
There are things in our lives that we cannot control and we need your transformative spirit to come in and change us from the inside out. Lord, for those who have been squeezing our lives like that Nerf ball, and every time we release the pressure, it just goes back the same way it was. Lord, I, I, I pray for us, Lord, that we would surrender that trying, that religion, that strength to try and be something we aren't in our own strength and recognize that we need a Savior. And Lord, we thank you for your saving goodness. We thank you that you would come and take on flesh, that you would be willing to change us through your spirit from the inside out. And we thank you for your resurrection. Your resurrection that declares and proclaims that sin and brokenness will not have the last word. So Jesus, would you make us more like yourself? Would goodness be squeezed out of us when life circumstances don't go the way that we had planned? Would people see your goodness through us as your image bearers? We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. As we're sitting there worshiping, I, uh, I feel like there's just something I need to address very quickly. Anytime we talk about behavior change and how we're not quite as we ought to be, uh, it leaves a little crack for the enemy to come in and say there's the spirit of guilt or not guilt, guilt is a good thing, but the spirit of condemnation that tries to force you into trying harder. You know, when you look at scripture and the, you know, scripture refers to the law, which describes the first five books in your Bible, and, and there's these list of rules and behaviors and and throughout, throughout the biblical account, people tried and tried to behave a certain way. And you just see this. It's like the same story over and over again. If you haven't read the Bible, let me summarize it for you. People try really hard and they fail. And then God's gracious and brings them back and says, okay, now live like this. And then they try really hard and they fail. And it's like over and over and over again for thousands of years. And then Paul says, the whole purpose of the law was actually to point out to you that you are incapable of keeping the law. That was the purpose of it. It highlights to you your, your incapability of living in the way that you ought to live. And so if you walk out of this morning being like, man, I just gotta, I gotta try a whole lot harder because I'm totally out of alignment with the person I wanna be, you missed the point. When we recognize that there's a person God has called us to be that we cannot be, the answer is not to try harder, but to surrender more. And so my invitation for you is to, to give up that fight give up that fight and recognize you actually can't do it on your own strength. And maybe a practical response this morning is just coming forward and saying, I'm out of alignment. I recognize that. Um, and I'm in need of a savior. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. That's why we have this thing called repentance and confession is because we just continually bring ourselves back under the need of grace and the invitation for God to come in and change us from the inside out. And I would invite you uh, to do that this morning uh, if you feel like God is leading you to bring yourself into alignment under who he's calling you to be. So let me pray for you and bless you and I invite you forward here at the end uh, for prayer if you choose to do that. God, we just thank you again that you are good. And I, I love how Jamie described that you, you know, we can't, say, do as I do all the time, uh, but you can because you are consistently good. That you That is who you are. And Lord, we just thank you that you're unchanging. And we thank you just for the gracious invitation to always come back to you when our lives are out of alignment. 
And Lord, for those who feel a sense of helplessness and condemnation and they're beating themselves up this morning, uh, Lord, I pray that you would just remove that in the name of Jesus and they would just sense this warm invitation to a life-changing relationship with you. That you stand with your arms open and you say, come. I know you can't do it on your own. That's the whole reason I came to earth. And so Lord, we just respond to that and we say, thank you. Um, and we, we, we just pray that your spirit would, would come and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming. Have a great week. Uh, we'll see you next week as we take a look at kindness.